let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for bringing us together once again. We we'll say may your name be praised in Jesus' name. Father, we pray that as we start to listen to your word and all that you have for us once again today, that you speak to us in Jesus' name. Say the things that only you can say in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, so who can remind me of what we did last week? It's very easy because it's not even topic. But who can remember something significant from last week's class? We we examined Acts chapter 2 from verse 1 to verse 13. And we looked at the coming of the Holy Spirit and what happened, the speaking of, of um, the disciples speaking in tongues. And we examined the topics of tongues, how it's supposed to, how it works, and, you know, how we, looking at some of the issues that people have with it and being able to, like, actually um, defeat such issues. So... That, that was one of the major things that we spoke about last week. Okay, thank you. Anything else? Oh, that was the main thing, yeah. Okay. Uh, we, s- we also spoke about um, the mysteries of tongues. Oh, okay. And how um, even if we want to sort of uh, understand it, that we can't really understand it because there are so many... There are over 7,000 known languages in the world and even those known languages have uh, different uh, should I say intonations or accents so to say and um, we are also um, expected to or we grow in tongues rather Um, we don't just stay in one um, state we go from a higher state into a much higher state okay Sorry, I just remember don't sounds me. like what I said, but doesn't <laughs> feel like what I said. But you it does sound like it. Yeah. You also spoke about um, you spoke about heavenly expectation. Uh, I think that was okay. one of the first things you mentioned. Talked about expectation and how different it is between sim- simply just expecting something as a human being and like how God works in that. Like it's not working according to our own timing, our own understanding, or whatever as the case may be. And that, but like there's this, for a believer, there's this understanding that we're supposed to be like constantly expectant for all God to do because whenever He does it, it's always going to be sudden. Okay. That sounds like what I said too. Yeah, really. We we spent. If anybody else? Ah, okay, I'll still come here. So don't think there's an escape. Anyway. Um. So yeah, we spoke about the first. Um, the first instance in scripture where we see people speaking tongues and. We get to look at the things that happened. I talked about, he said, godly expectation versus, I talked about the place of time. Yeah, that's when there's an earthly expectation. There's always time for you to believe that somebody's going to do what they say they will do. 
they must at least give you a time frame. If not, you can't really trust. You can't really trust. I can't just say I'll do it and you say when. And even children, it's just humanity. We've been like that since when we were small. Um, I remember I told Isaac and Jubilee that I will buy them, we'll get them crayons and colored pencil. And from the minute I said it, I said I'll get it that weekend. And it came that weekend. But the, from the minute I said it, every morning when I see them, the first thing Isaac said, says is, you said you will buy us colored pencil. I said, yes, I'll buy it this weekend. Say, okay. The next morning, you said, <laughs> you. until it came. That's when he relaxed. Even when he came, he said he wants to see it for him to believe. So I had to show him. Then he now believed and rested. And how old is he? He's like six, yeah? So, so that's human beings. It's just how we are. We can't change. And that's earthly expectation. So we look at the difference and how time is very important for us on earth. With God, Abraham asked for, I, I, God promised Isaac he waited 25 years. He didn't know he was going to wait 25 years. And he gave examples like that, like that, like that. Then we talked about the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit versus the omnipresence of of the Holy Spirit of God. That the Holy Spirit is here, then he chooses to reveal himself. And sometimes when he reveals himself, he can permeate our five senses, right? So we said he was like a rushing wind and he appeared like flames of fire. Then we delved into tongues. Today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2 from verse 14 to verse 36. It's a pretty bulky passage, so and there's some things that I would like us to really, really pay attention to here. Well, can someone pick up a mic and read Acts chapter 2 from verse 14 to 36? Acts 14. Um, verse, sorry, Acts 2 from verse 14 to 36. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. 
Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he should set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and that we are all and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Amen. 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 Are we together? Are we still together? So from this point, we're going to be... I'm going to be giving you some... I don't say some assignments, but yes, I'm going to be saying some things to you that I want you to be taking note of. You can call them hints, right? Because you know what? We're running a series here. So because we're running a series, I would like you to be taking note of things. Because these things I want you to take note of align with some of the purposes I gave you. The very first day that we started studying the book of Acts. We know that we are not going on this journey because we just feel like, right? I want a response. Yes. Uh-huh. We're not on this journey because we just feel like, or it's something that we just want to do. We're on this journey because we're trying to get or gain something. And I told you what the purposes are. Please, you can go back and read those purposes again. Because... What's that expression that when purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable, right? Yes. So if you don't remind yourself of why we are doing this, specifically, I gave you three, the purpose of the author, the purpose of the book, and our own reason for studying it. Then all these things that I'm about to point out might not make sense. But the first hint that I want to give you is I want you to watch out for instances of plural leadership in the life of the church because we know that the church was born at resurrection like i said but now the church has been empowered and something is about to happen 
and from verse 14, I'll give you the first instance. It says, Peter's standing up with what? Read it. With the 11. Peter delivered the message, but he didn't stand alone. Right? He did not just stand up like, oh, okay. He was not in air quotes, the star of the show and everybody was. No. He stood up and the 11 stood with him, including the Matthias that just got elected. Stood with him. And yes, Peter was the mouthpiece, but they all assumed that same position of leadership together in the execution of what we can call the first evangelistic message of the entire New Testament church. True or false? True. This is the first evangelistic, and it's so unique. It's unique because uh, for those that are, I mean, that come to the evening, evening service, what they'll come to realize is today, spoiler alert, we are going to be looking at this same Peter in a very different light. He was not this man that he is now. And because in that service, we're in the book of John, we get to see Peter as he was. And that Peter is such a contrast to the man that is about to speak right now. They are not the same person. Something definitely has changed. And Peter stands up and he starts to address the people. Now, <coughs> we're going to look at the elements of this message. And we're going to really break it down. Because the thing is, if a Christian wants to know how to evangelize, right if a christian wants to know how to speak to people and win souls a christian does not need to invent or come up with something entirely new i think there's a course in the bible school basic evangelism which i thought for a bit before i handed it over and one of the things that i added to the manual that was not there at first was what is not evangelism. There are so many things that are not evangelism that are portrayed as evangelism in the world today. Some of them are even right spiritual things, but those things do not contain a proper evangelistic message. The content of what is being said, whether on those altars or in those gatherings or in that conversation between you and a friend or a colleague or his, whatever it is, it has to have the elements of this message and every other message that we would read in the book of Acts because there are many. But they all share similarities. And so I'm going to start from here. And I want you to follow and contribute and ask questions. So the first thing I the first thing that I want to say is that the message was born from opportunity. It was born from what? Opportunity. And the opportunity came after a sign. The sign was that the spirit of God came upon them and they spoke in new tongues, right? 
A couple of chapters after this, we'll see that Peter delivers another message, which was also born from opportunity. But the sign was different. The sign then was that a man who was lame at a gate called Beautiful started walking, jumping and leaping and praising God. Go through the book of Acts. You see that you would always see there's a moment of what? Opportunity. Every message that has any effect comes from us being able to recognize the gap, the space that we have to speak it. And if we miss it, we've missed it. If we miss it, we've what? We've missed it. So for you to be an effective Christian first, you have to be able to recognize evangelistic opportunities. Whether it's on a stage or whether it's in personal interaction, no matter what you want to call it, they exist. And you must be able to find it. And the opportunity here was an expression of unbelief. The opportunity came from those that said they are drunk. It's the others. They are the trigger for this message. The primary trigger for the message is them. Because that's how he starts his message. He starts his message by essentially saying, we are not what? Drunk. So they present the opportunity. Their expression of unbelief is what he uses as a catalyst to begin his message. Later on, you see in the same book, Paul was somewhere and was in a heathen land or an unevangelized place. And he saw an inscription saying, To the unknown God. And that was his own opportunity. And he picked it from there and he started to speak. Read the whole of this book. Every message is born from an opportunity there's something that happens that gives the person that is speaking a doorway into delivering what they want to say into delivering what what they want to say very important let's just get that out of the way first uh i happen to be i think on friday i was out with someone and we're talking and we're talking about different things and we got to the point of evangelism ironically with this person there was a time when when i used to talk about evangelism the person was a bit more antagonistic but years have passed so the person is a bit more open the christian or the person was antagonistic as a christian but the person was a bit more open to listen to what i was saying this time and the person was like to her that the best thing is just to let her life do the preaching and she said it again the same way she defended it i mean years ago when she and this time i still said the same thing i said years ago differently though and i said you still have to talk and i said because simply saying you are living good is not enough Simply saying that you want to live out the Christian life is not what? It's not enough. It has never been and it will never be. 
even if you want to ignore Jesus' instruction, which you can't, the rise of, and as I, I told her, the rise of what we call moralistic atheism today has made it difficult for you to keep your mouth shut. What is moralistic atheism? A moralistic atheist is someone that believes that there is no God, but humanity has a responsibility to do their best to be good. And I gave her a final example, and I told her, when I was in drama departments a long time ago, I used to write a lot of scripts for drama. I used to act. I also used to write scripts. I know with drama, you have to write the dialogue. It's not like prose. You write the dialogue, what this person says, what that person says. And I remember that we had a drama head at the time. And me, I used to write scripts, and sometimes I will infer some things. You know, like, I just believe that people will be able to get that this is what is happening underneath this. And I remember submitting my scripts or having, even we were acting out some things, and we say some lines. And I remember my drama head then, and it was Esther. I was in my second year in uni. And she would say, why did you do it that way? And I would be like, hey, it's obvious now. And I remember something she told us. She said, when it comes to drama, you are safest when you assume that the audience is stupid. You have to assume that the audience cannot get your clues or your things that you're trying to infer. You have to assume that your audience cannot read between what? The lines. You have to be as clear as possible so that without any shadow of doubt, they will know that this is what you are what saying. And the Christian life is also like that. You cannot just say, I will leave an example and not speak. You have to be as clear as possible about what you stand for. And for you to be able to be clear, this your mouth has to what? Open. And you have to recognize the opportunity to open that mouth. And so that's what we see from Acts chapter 2 from verse 14. So, the second thing is that the message was presented as a defense. Presented as a what? Last Sunday evening, we did Christian simple apologetics, right? And I talked about apologetics being simply a defense of the faith. That's not necessarily what this means. When I say the message must be presented as a defense, what I'm saying is that the gospel, by its nature, is adversarial. Is what? Adversarial. Because it's always standing against something. Even when you don't mean to stand against what something, if you are preaching the true gospel, you are naturally taking a stand against something. So, for a Christian that does not want to be confrontational, I'm sorry, because you are confrontational whether you desire it or not. Because anything that you say that does not affect someone or something in such a way that you are addressing or correcting something will not be the true gospel. Because if Jesus our Lord was like that, they would not have been so angry to want to stone him so many times. Right? It's not because Jesus was deliberately trying to provoke these people. It's just that the things that he was saying just naturally provoked what? He provoked them. 
So the gospel is adversarial by nature. And that's something that we need to know. So the gospel is always presented as a defense. Now with Peter in his defense, he started by acknowledging what it wasn't. So what the people were seeing, he started by saying, what you think this is, this is not it, right? He started with the negative before he now explained what it was. I will still give you practical explanations. Hmm? But what this teaches us is we should never be afraid, even if it is popular opinion, to say what something isn't. Right? Something happens in the office and people are attributing it to something else. You should not be afraid to say, okay, this is not that. Before you even go on to say, okay, this is what it is. It might be the simplest thing. Oh. I remember I was coming back home with a classmate. And we're talking about... We're talking about our last, like session results and like project supervisors and all that stuff and apparently my project supervisor is in the whole department is the only one that he has a track record of not stressing people and like you are sure that you would finish and graduate the rest stress people for different reasons some stress because they are just difficult others stress because they are too smart so we have some professors that they are just you can't impress them <laughs> Like, no matter what you write, you can't impress them. There's one in particular that he, I think he gave someone, like, five materials to read. Five bulky materials to read before even starting to go and write something. And the person dedicatedly read three and put together a chapter and brought it to him. And the man read it and said, where is this one and this one? You didn't read this two. Like, he knew. And these materials that this five is not as if it's two pages stuff. So he's professor Dada, he's interesting. Right, he's a very interesting man. Very interesting man. And my 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 supervisor is not any of these people. It's the man that's supervising me. It doesn't stress my life at all. It's easy peasy. I'm just doing projects in peace. And I remember we're coming from school one day and somebody was remarking that I'm just lucky, like everything in this like program essentially is just in air quotes, working for me that I'm not really the hassles that people are going through. And the person just made a remark and said, I'm just lucky. And I said, that's not luck. It's not luck. And I said, I'm blessed. And I'm favored. That's what's doing me. That's favored that's following me up and down. And that remark alone took him aback and he stopped. Then he smiled and he said, well, and that's where it ended. It might sound like, oh, if I didn't say that, does it change anything? Maybe not. Maybe you say it doesn't change anything. But I would never stand for you ascribing some, something to what it is what, what it is not. Because that is really, that is one of the easiest ways to open the doors to speaking about Jesus. Because you see, many people live their lives like both the negative things that happen, they just happen. 
and some positive that positive things that happen they also just what happen they treat life like it's some random event like oh we can't control it and this is you that you are a christian and you know that essentially life is deeper than what we see life is more spiritual than physical and then people are talking about these situations and circumstances around you you should not keep quiet and stand for what it isn't if it isn't this it isn't this and i do my best to make it very clear because that's what peter started with here that's what his gateway into he said what these men are not drunk And it was after he said, okay, this is not what is going on, that he now went on to say, okay, this is what is actually going on. And then Peter now started to speak about what it is. But Peter did not speak about what it is without acknowledging his audience. And this is very important. He acknowledged his audience, right? He said, men of what? Judea. And all that dwell in Jerusalem. This will come into play much later. Because you would see that being a witness for Christ, the audience that you're speaking to matters. And the Holy Spirit really has to lead us to be able to say the right things to the right people. And it came into play. And I tell you how. But the first thing we have to talk about is that to establish what exactly was going on, his foundation was scripture. So his message was built on the foundation of what? Of scripture. That scripture he quoted there, where you can see from verse 17 to 21, is actually Joel chapter 2 from verse 28 to what? To 32. And if you read through that, you will see that those things that were spoken about in verse 20, the sun shall be turned into darkness, they happened at the death of Jesus. If you read Matthew's account in Matthew 27 from verse 51 to 53, even Luke's account, because, I mean, this is his second book, Luke acknowledged that the weather changed. But Matthew went as far as talking about the fact that the earth was shook and those that were dead came to life. And they saw them around Israel at the death of Jesus. And so all those signs that you see talk, being talked about there, signs in the heavens and what? Signs on the earth beneath. <coughs> Peter is using Joel to say everything that has happened before now, hmm? up until now where you see this fire that you see appearing on top of our heads has been prophesied by who by the by the prophets which is joel and he ends by saying and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the lord will be what will be saved and then after that he now goes and says what men of israel hear these words jesus of nazareth a man attested by god to you at this point peter is delivering a credible witness because he's about to say what he himself has what 
experienced. So he's built his message on the foundation of what? Of scripture. Defending what was going on by scripture. Then he moves on into a credible witness of what he himself has experienced of that what? Of that Jesus. But the credibility of the witness is that that witness is also interpreted by scripture. Because he doesn't just talk. Right? He doesn't just talk about Jesus. He takes them back to the scripture. And he starts to speak about what David said about Jesus. So Peter does not explain his own experiences by just his words, his brain. It wasn't enough to say, okay, you killed Jesus. The credibility of his witness was that even his personal experience was interpreted through the lens of scripture. And this is where the audience comes to play. Because you will never see Paul reference David to the Gentiles. They don't know who he is. Do they? No. Read through the book of Romans. Even from the beginning of Romans. where When, when Paul starts to deliver his defense of the gospel. He uses things that the Roman world can what? Can relate with. But you see the Jews carried a few people on their heads in their history. Elijah carried him on their head. Moses carried him on their head. And when it came to kings, their greatest king was who? David. So delivering a message like this and quoting King David himself is an affront. You are saying something to them. You are hitting them where it hurts. But still interpreting his own experience of Jesus with what? Scripture. Why is credibility important? Because credibility, because we said credibility is because it's interpreted by what? Scripture. Credibility is the only thing that will make your message centered on Jesus. It's the only thing. Because when you speak truly as a witness of Christ, and your witnessing is credible, you would be able to focus on the identity of Christ. Who he really is. Because that's where Peter was going to. I want you to study it again. You see that Peter acknowledged that Jesus came from God and he was the son of God. He acknowledged his life. He acknowledged his passion, which is his death. He also acknowledged his resurrection. And so you might say, okay, Pastor Billy, this is all up in the air. And I'm going to close in a bit. This is all up in the air. How can I actually apply it to my life? It's simple. What I am saying to you, that is not enough for you to simply say to someone, especially when you have the chance, now God, 
or it's Jesus that did it. You kind of have to say how. And you saying how, it's not just you giving the testimony. What backs it up? Like, what gives you the rights to that healing that you experienced? Is it not because he said that by his stripes you were healed? So it's not just enough to say, oh, Jesus healed me. If that is going to turn into credible witnesses, then you have to speak about why Jesus healed you. Are we together? Because, you know, someone will say, oh, yes, I've evangelized today. What did you say? Okay, I, I told them that Jesus healed me. Okay, fine. Okay, okay. Jesus healed you. Read here. Read, read. We're going to see so many other messages. These people, they don't say anything without making a reference. They back up and defend every single thing that they say. With scriptures, they quote themselves throughout. They quote the Old Testament. And they did not even have Bible. They had just the Old Testament. But it was enough for them. It was enough for them to defend the realities of the new birth that they had started to experience now that they were born again. And so essentially, what turns... See, even if God heals someone of cancer, what turns that mighty testimony into a credible witness of Jesus from the person is how the person sees it. Have you read Paul speaking about his life and how he was tormenting Christians before? He doesn't just say it like some casual thing, no. He says it with the weight of what those things meant. And then he goes on to speak about what that salvation is to him. But not just an emotional thing. He talks about it backed up by what? By scripture. So God healed me of this, okay? Because scripture says that by his stripes I have been made healed. How did Jesus get those stripes? He got those stripes because he was on his way to Calvary. To die for what? My sins. There is no credible witness of Christ or something that happens in your life that doesn't lead back to that cross. I mean, there's nothing that you want to say that is a testimony or an experience of Jesus in your life. That if you want to expound it or explain it, it must lead back to the cross. It must. It will lead back to it. And so, what does it mean to be a Christian who is able to properly witness for Christ. We'll see after this next week. And when Peter was done talking, the people that were listening to him, they were the ones that asked him, like, okay, what, sh- what can we do? And that might not be the only response. You know, Stephen, they stoned him when he was done. Right. But it's because Stephen 
placed a demand on them by what he said. The message of Christ places a demand on us. Jesus met Matthew at the tax collector's booth and he said to Matthew, follow me. And Jesus and Matthew stood up and went. Very simple verse, but it's very powerful. What he tells you is that Jesus, by his nature, and his message is the same, he places a demand on us. Like if Matthew chose to not follow, it will not be because Jesus did not call him. Our Jesus is not just stirring up intellectual curiosity. Like, oh, it's a beautiful message. Oh, it makes so much sense. Jesus does not just tickle our emotions. Like, oh, I felt it. It touched me. No. The message of Christ places a demand on us to act, to do something. And when we deliver it properly, the way it should be delivered, you leave people with something to do. You leave them with a choice to make. Even when they are already in Christ. When we hear something, it, it leaves us with something to what? To do. And it's not really complete if there is nothing to do. It means we've missed something. We've missed something in our delivery. We've missed something in our execution. And it should not be so. Amen. Because that's not what we learned from the first ever message. But it's because Peter, through the help of the Holy Spirit, was able to say the right things. Breaking it down in this way is not to negate that the Spirit of God will give us all trance. No. But that doesn't mean that we cannot learn. Because the Spirit of God will not skip what he did with other people. What makes you different from Peter or Paul? He's going to do the same thing with you, but you have to be able to recognize what that thing is. Are we together? You have to recognize what it is. So when Peter preached, it is because of the content of what he said. You know, some people say no matter what, the Holy Spirit can speak through anyone. True. But the Holy Spirit cannot speak through anything. What do I mean? He can move through anybody. That's very true. But he won't move with empty words. Jesus said that it is what he sees his father do that he does. Jesus also said that when he was sending this spirit down, he said that he's not going to do anything of himself. The Holy Spirit is only here to affirm Jesus. And Jesus himself is united with his father. So they are all aligned to the same goal. You cannot break them up. And so yes, the Holy Spirit can speak through a five-year-old, a two-year-old. True. But the only reason why the Spirit of God is going to move through that five-year-old is because of what that five-year-old is saying. 
In fact, they might not even be fully cognizant of the weight of what they are saying. Have you heard children preach and they are saying, uh, you know that Jesus loves you, repent. That's all they know. And they are saying it innocently. And somebody in that audience is like they are stabbing the person. And the child is just saying his own or our own. With all the innocence in this world. Now, yes, you say, ah, that child doesn't know anything. Look at the way God is using him or her. True. But the Spirit of God is using what that child is saying. And what that child is saying still backs up what, what we are talking about today. Because it leads back to the cross. And if what we are saying in our offices and the people we are relating with and in our families, do not lead, does not, if it doesn't lead back to the cross, then the Holy Spirit can back it up with power. And so Christians give a lot of empty testimonies. I don't mean on the I don't mean testimony time in church. I mean we have we we are very bad witnesses. Because yes, we acknowledge that God did something for us, but we leave it up in the air. We leave it as if we are simply giving our personal opinion and personal experience. What gives you the right to that grace that you are enjoying? Jesus died. And it's not enough for you to say, oh, it's just grace. So, like what I did in that car today is incomplete. The example I gave you is incomplete in the context of an evangelistic message. In that if the setting was different, it would have turned to preaching. But the setting wasn't. It was just a throwaway comment. And we're riding in the car and there were like three or four, well, like plenty in the car and it was a whole thing. So I just let it that. that. But let's say it was two of us alone and the person was not a believer. So I'll turn to a message. Because the question will be that, okay, this thing you call luck is not luck. And I told you that it's not luck, I'm blessed. So what gives me the right to that blessing? What makes me different from you? Why are you not enjoying the same thing? Well, I have somebody you don't have. And the person I have that you don't have is Jesus. Because that's the point. Right? Without that, it's pointless. And so you see that even from here, we see all the beats of what it means for us to be effective witnesses. Which brings me to the conclusion that and you would agree that this is true. You cannot be an effective witness of Christ if you don't have the word of God inside you. Hmm? It just it can't work. I saw a skit. It was it was derogatory. It was funny, but it also made me think because it was kind of true. It was a very short skit of I can't remember. It's one of these funny. It's popular. I don't know. He wears a blue shirt. Okay, and basically he does a lot of stupid stupid things. I don't really follow. But I saw one and he took a. He was with the Bible. He was acting like he was going to evangelism and he went to meet someone to preach. And he started his message, and as he was about to open the Bible to speak, the person that was with him just... So he was about to quote a scripture, and as he was about to quote it, the person I was preaching to just seized the Bible and told him, well, quote, what you have, quote it from your head. It was funny. They were great, sure. 
but also kind of true in that obviously he couldn't say anything and that's where the message ended and he walked away very short very simple and i looked at him like this is true in that witnessing is is pointless when the world is not inside us it's pointless because we can't properly defend what we claim to know or believe we have to have the word inside us it's just which is why when we go on evangelism i don't carry bible because number one carrying bible scares some people away so i don't try because i mean it it helps my approach but beyond that it's because everything i want to say is inside here it's not even here because i don't even know what i'm going to tell you it's not about the thing i memorize because i don't plan it so when i meet you and i see you on the road it's what i'm led to say i say and usually it's come from here because it's what i have i can give and we'll see later when we start to discuss that because that's the next miracle we're going to look at very shortly because Peter said, Antum Agantum doesn't have. Silver and gold, he has what? No. But it is what I have, I what? I give. We can't give what we don't have as Christians. We can't what? We can't give what we don't have. And what we have is not what we memorize. Is what has entered us and has become a part of us. And I pray that God will help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Any questions? Because I remember last week you said I didn't allow for questions. Speaking about um, the message coming from a place of opportunity, how does this tally with like regular street evangelism? You know, you walk out on the streets and, you know, you meet up, you just meet someone and you just want to evangelize, preach the word of God. Like, I wouldn't call it like, a, like an opportunity, opportunity in the way in which it's been described. So, like, I want us to try and, like, understand how that works away falls into. There are a lot of answers. The answer that I'll give to this, you might not like it, though. But I'll try to give it. Number one, in a sense, that is opportunity. Mm-hmm. In a sense. But I, I know what you're trying to ask. So, I'm going to answer both the answer that's I think the question I think you are asking and also the uh, real answer, because the way you ask the question is easy for me to just say that in itself is what is an opportunity and let it rest, right? But what you're saying is that essentially what situation are you taking advantage of in this instance, right? You just met someone on the road and you went to preach. And there are so many things that I can say on that. The first I can say on that is that I don't know about you, but even when I go out on evangelism, I don't talk to just anyone. I kind of wait till who I am led to meet, right? And usually it's when the conversation starts that I find out why I approached that person in that I recognize the opportunity within the conversation. Is that is that fair? So what I mean is, I met some people and it is in the, co- the course of what speaking that I realized that the person stopped going to church when they lost their parents. Or when, Jonathan, or when some scenario in their life happened. Or they are going but they are confused about this or that. And when that conversation starts, then that's when the opportunity presents itself. And then everything that happens in this verse follows. 
So that's the first thing. In that, I don't go arbitrarily. I don't know about you. But even if you go arbitrarily, it might still apply. In that, you would always find... Because, you know, there's this expression, there's a God-shaped hole in everyone. It's true. There's always a lack. There's always something. But it's it's incumbent on you to kind of find that thing. So it now depends on what you say. So like when you go out and you speak to someone you don't know, <coughs> the first thing you have to find out is whether the person is a Christian or not. And if the person is Christian, the first thing you have to find out is how that relationship is going with God. Because when I say if the person is Christian, is you have to really confirm that the person is Christian and not just a churchgoer. Because if the person is truly Christian, then you know that what you are going to see to that person from that point on is encouragement between a brother and a sister, a true brother or a true sister. All right? And that's what that day is going to be. So don't deceive yourself that you went out on evangelism if that's the only person you spoke to. No. You were built up. Which is why usually, when I've, I've said this thing before, that when people come to evangelize to me, I actually encourage them. I wait and I listen if I have the time. Because I know that for some of them, they might just be starting and they need to be encouraged. And we encourage each other. There's somebody that met me on the road. And we had a very good time. And that day, I was wearing three quarters and a t-shirt. And so, and I was working on this homily. So the person just assumed naturally that I don't go to church. I don't know why. Because that's just how people are. And the person had a conversation with me and preached. And I said, and the first thing first came to me and said, can, can we talk to you? And I'm sure that all these strategies have been given to them from church. A person approached me, I was like, um, that they want to be my friend. I'm like, I'm not interested in making friends. Because I was on my way to go and do something. I was going to home affairs. And, you know, all these tactics and skills are given in churches. I have nothing against them, but you have to be led. Because if you use one shoe for everybody, it doesn't really work. Because it's not everybody that's interested in having a friend. Some churches will say, if it's a, if it's a man you are meeting, the girl should go. If it's a guy, just and they do all those kind of. <laughs> Does it work? No, not really. Cause me, like, if you approach me, I'd be like, okay, just rest. I don't have and this, and it was there was a girl and a guy, but the girl spoke first, and I'm sure it's deliberate. And you're like, oh, uh, can I meet you? Uh, I'm trying, and I'm like, I'm not interested in making friends. Like, but I stopped because in me, I already knew that they were going to evangelize. And when they finally took time and they got to the bus stop where they were going, that one they talked to me about Jesus. And I told them, Shall I said this one like two minutes ago. Like I knew that's what you wanted to say. But if I was not patient, like you'll have lost me because I'm not interested in making friends. And then they started talking and but they did the right thing. They confirmed that I was truly Christian. They were not satisfied with the fact that I went to church. They actually took their time to ask me questions that should be asked. And I answered them. And when they were convinced that, yes, I was, I was Christian, they asked me if I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, all that. And I answered, and then they spoke. And I listened to everything that they said. And when they finished, I gave my own two cents. And I carried my... We stood there for like 10, 15 minutes. And I wasn't in a hurry. But they were my brother and sister in Christ. I don't, I've not seen them since then. But I appreciated the fact that they are going about doing the work. So you have to confirm. You have to find out. So you know exactly what you are doing. And if it's just a churchgoer that is not a believer, then the person needs to be saved. And that's the direction of your message. And you would, the opportunity will present itself somehow. Somehow. But we don't do these things 
like I say, like I said here, apart from when we say street evangelism, there's street evangelism that is my own, per- your own personal. You just decided to go, and that that's not what I'm saying here. But the one that is mandated by the church is mandated to help people to obey this commission. It is not mandated to grow the church members. Like if the person follows you to church, all well and good. But the purpose is not to go and recruit. Because Jesus is the one responsible for his own church. He will grow it at his own time, at his own pace. He didn't say go out and win people to your denomination. No. Say go out and preach the gospel. So when you go out, preach the gospel. So like here, there's a difference between mobilization and evangelism. If I'm going out on ev- mobilization, it means, okay, we have a program who wants to go and share flyers and here or inviting people. And here, that's different. But when I'm going on evangelism, a lot of times, like, yes, if the opportunity presents itself and the person is not planted somewhere and the person lives close, of course, invite the person to church. But there are people walking this street of Lagos that the person is going back to Aja. The person just happened to come around for something. You know, now, you know now hammer on the person and you now be putting the cart before the horse. Rather than preaching the message of Christ as it is, you're not concerned about dragging the person to... That's not scripture. And that's, those are the many ways that we miss it. Hmm? Anyway, are we... Any more questions? No. Let us pray.